rules in their court um, that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. And at the moment, we're still having discussions and they haven't dropped anything unilaterally. And we hope that continues because then we can continue our conversation. Okay, that from today, Premier Danielle Smith uh, talking about electricity. The proposed clean energy regulations, Ottawa's 2035 net zero target for the electricity grid. Alberta is launching a national ad campaign to not just inform Albertans, but inform Canadians, they say, about the negative effects of the federal government's proposed electricity regulations. This coincides with uh, an analysis released today by the Alberta Electric System Operator about potential costs associated with that goal. Now, the federal environment minister responding to all of this, uh, rejecting the uh, the notion that uh, we are going to see blackouts uh, after 2035, calling on the AESO to release all of the numbers behind this analysis, but saying at the same time, quote, we look forward to engaging constructively with all partners and pointing to the recently created Alberta Canada Working Group. Uh, so joining us to talk more about all of this is, uh, well, Minister Gibel's provincial counterpart, Alberta's Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, Rebecca Schultz, joining us on the line here this afternoon. Minister, good to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. First of all, I just want to give you a chance to, to address something. I know the Premier was asked about yesterday. It pertains uh, to, to you and your portfolio and your spouse. Um, what can you tell us about this situation? Is your, your husband's company lobbying your department? Or what, what is the situation there, as you understand um, no. I mean, the answer to that is no. Uh, since I was elected in 2019, uh, I have made a point of obviously reaching out to the ethics commissioner and making sure that I follow any guidance uh, that she provides, and I will absolutely continue to do that. Okay. Uh, let's talk about today's uh, announcement. So I guess part of the question here is is why now? I don't get the sense that anything has changed yeah. as far as Ottawa's concerns. Why is Alberta taking a new approach? So why now is really that on this campaign, we have 75 days to provide feedback. Um, that is the minimum that uh, Ottawa has to give us on these regulations. And uh, we wanted to make sure that Canadians understand the impact of these clean electricity regulations before that time is up. Because look, already the provinces provided input, our power generators uh, provided input, and none of that had been listened to in the drafting of these regulations. And honestly, this federal government, they say they care about affordability and reliability, but these actual regulations say the exact opposite. And I, I truly believe that, you know, our best hope at having this federal government listen and make changes, common sense changes that need to be made to their regulations to actually acknowledge and consider affordability and reliability is to hear from Canadians and not just in Alberta or in the Prairie Provinces, but also in Eastern and Atlantic Canada, where they also have very real concerns. Right. Again, the, the regulations haven't changed since they were first released. So uh, the federal government says they're willing to talk still. There's the working group that's that's been set up. Mm -hmm. So again, I guess what, what has changed? You know, I would say, you know, to reiterate what the Premier said in the press conference this morning, the discussions are taking place. But if we're talking about the difference of 18 days of peaker capacity to, um, you know, almost 30, almost a month, it, that still doesn't even get us through a winter. Um, it, it's really a little bit wild when we think about what this actually means for Canadians. And 
Even our independent regulator coming out this morning saying, yes, this will lead to blackouts. I mean, it is exactly what we're seeing in other places. And that was really, I think, the crux of what I was sharing this morning, that, you know, I was just in Germany this summer. I spoke to people from California and from Texas. And so when we see those places that have gone so far so fast, they are scaling back. Uh, You know, they're now ramping up coal-fired generation in Germany. And we talked about what rolling blackouts meant. And, you know, I am a parent of two young kids. I represent a lot of young families in South Calgary. And what that means for people right across our province is um, at times of peak capacity, those are typically between the hours of four and nine, you are rationing power. So I think about a regular everyday Albertan family, Canadian family, picking up their kids, driving to hockey, soccer, music, you name it, trying to make dinner, um, do their homework, and and everything being done in the dark. I mean, I I really do think about a mom waking up with a baby in the middle of the night um, and not having access to power. And and we say that that's an emergency. I mean, I think that that's kind of a basic expectation that Canadians have of their grid, especially if they're going to be paying such substantial costs. This is the trade-off, and there there are trade-offs. And I think, you know, first of all, um, it's interesting that Minister Guibault says he'd like to see the numbers. He's not given us any numbers. I've asked for the numbers twice. They have not given us any numbers on cost, on timelines. They haven't made investments in clean technology that we've been waiting for for two years. Um, the technology doesn't even exist it, it, anywhere in the world for this to happen. So then to say, you know, we've got 10 years to come up with the technology and then scale it, um, it is so unrealistic. And the socioeconomic impact at a, at a $1.7 trillion cost, this will absolutely fall to Canadians, whether it's on their taxes, whether it's on their bills, and Canadians should know about that. Well, I mean, this doesn't affect every province the same. And, and there are certainly provinces uh, that are closer to that 2035 mm-hmm. target, or it will be easier for them to reach that target. So how do we convince them to, to care about Alberta's play? You know, you're right. And I know, um, you know, we were asked about that this morning at the press conference as well. There were uh, studies coming out of uh, Ontario, for example. Um, They have a different situation than we do, but it's still going to cost an average Ontario family uh, a few thousand dollars. So, you know, I I think that uh, that is a that is something to point out. They will still face uh, extraordinary costs to transition. Obviously, Albertans' costs would be higher because we don't have access to hydroelectricity. Um, but also the maritime provinces, they, they have articulated that as well, that um, this is just completely unrealistic and unreasonable. And if we're talking about tinkering, like I said, from 18 days to maybe almost 30, um, that, that actually doesn't fix the crux of what we're seeing here, which is affordability and reliability being the top of mind issues of Canadians. We're elected to represent Albertans and and Canadians respectively when we're talking about the federal government. Um, We need to listen and, you know, their concerns again need to be top of mind. We can't be adding on these additional costs and then putting the whole grid at risk. Regarding the, the AESO analysis, um, which you alluded to, why didn't they release uh, all the numbers? You know, uh, I understand that they went uh, through a briefing this morning and they provided an, a number of um, pieces of data that 
really outlined the issues that we're seeing um, with these regulations and specifically within the Alberta context. So, you know, I think that they're probably the better, they're, they're probably the better person to talk about their specific data, but you know what, they, they did provide um, the feedback and what we're seeing about how this would actually impact our grid, which suggests, look, this is problematic. And, and when we see, I mean, part of it is, we can't get a real number because, again, the technology doesn't exist, but we do see costs of $1 to $1.7 trillion. That's huge. And, and it's right. going to fall to somebody, and it's going to fall to everyday working Albertans and Canadians. Well, the technology is a big question, right? Because mm -hmm. um, for natural gas to be a part of the grid, there, there are certainly very different expectations or, or regulation that would be imposed on those that are able to incorporate that technology. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, I mean, what we're hearing is, and I, I mean, Premier referenced it this morning as well. I mean, even some of our companies saying, look, we think 2045 would be a lot more reasonable. Our goals are around 2050. It's making sure that we can still manage the base load uh, requirements that we have in a province like ours, a country like ours, that, you know, in the middle of winter, we say when the, the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing and we can't rely on renewables to fire up that baseload power, that we're still able to use natural gas. And, you know, if we chase away investment in this area, we're going to lose baseload power. We're also going to lose some of the dollars that are needed in technology to actually reduce emissions. And so I think that that's part of the bigger um, pattern that we see with the federal government, too, is that when they come in with arbitrary and ideological timelines and expectations, we're actually getting in the way of what we're trying to do. And Alberta has reduced emissions in, in our electricity um, system by 53%. I think that was since 2005. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it, it also did come with a cost, right? Transitioning away from coal cost $1.3 billion. We still pay for that. Right now, taxpayers pay for that uh, $100 million every year. It's $100 million that... Uh, could go to healthcare education, supporting people with their electricity bills. Um, it, you know, for us, it's about making sure that we're aware and Albertans and Canadians are aware of the costs and the trade-offs. Because for me, I, I know, and certainly Premier Smith said this as well this morning, emissions reduction is a goal that we can get behind. There, There is, I think, alignment between us, between industry, between the federal government, and we're headed in the right direction. So... Um, let's make sure that we can do that while also keeping power affordable and reliable. Now, if Ottawa's position is hardening here, as as you maintain, and if Ottawa is infringing on provincial jurisdiction, which I, I think a strong case can be made, why isn't Alberta launching a constitutional challenge at this point? Well, you know, uh, as Premier and I have both said that, you know, we want to be at the table and have these discussions. We set up these tables in good faith. Um, to sit down and, and really walk through what the impacts are, try to get some flexibility, see if we can get alignment around 2050, which is really where industry in our province are at. Um, but again, you know, it, it is worrisome to continue to see the federal government still, you know, come out with, with things like what we're seeing in this clean electricity regulation. And um, if we see that continual overreach and lack of flexibility, we will use every tool that we have 
to make sure that we're honestly it's about protecting Albertans it's you know whether it be from an affordability perspective or quite frankly reliability and reliability becomes a very real safety issue for Albertans as well. The Premier mentioned the Sovereignty Act, and I'm curious what that would mean. This, these regulations don't require the Alberta government to do anything. Can Alberta somehow tell industry, tell private companies, producers to, to ignore federal regulations? What does that actually mean in practice? You know, and as the Premier said this morning, we're just working through what that could potentially look like. It's a tool that we don't want to use. Like, our preference would be for the federal government, and, and this is this was my plea to Minister Gibo when we first met, and it was my plea again uh, as we talk about these regulations specifically, was to put ideology aside. Let's use common sense. Let's work alongside industry and make sure that we can do this in a way um, that doesn't jeopardize, doesn't risk affordability and reliability. I mean, you know, we see that, for example, I mean, even in Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan NDP, um, they support Premier Mo on that front. They see it's not reasonable there. Unfortunately, we don't have that here. We have a provincial uh, New Democrat Party that is happy to support um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, on this front. And quite frankly, it's just, it's not reasonable. It's not realistic. Our independent regulator has said so. Um, and so, you know, our, our plea is just put ideology aside. Let's use common sense. Let's be creative and uh, make sure we're putting affordability and reliability first when we're making these decisions for Albertans and Canadians. Well, we'll see where it all goes from here. We'll uh, leave it there for now. Minister Schultz, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much. All right, there you go. That is Rebecca Schultz, Alberta's Minister of Environment and Protected Areas. Uh, So why they're taking this approach with the ad campaign and maybe looking at other ways of responding, is the federal position hardening here? The federal minister insists otherwise, but Alberta's gearing up for a potential fight here. We'll get some further analysis coming up later in the hour. Blake Schaefer at the University of Calgary will get his thoughts on what the AESO released today, why we didn't see the underlying analysis here. And what kind of conclusions can we make about the potential impact of Ottawa's regulations? So we'll get into that uh, coming up after 2.30. A few other things we'll get to in this hour. More of your phone calls, 403-974-8255. This is Afternoons on QR Calgary. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Talk on FM. QR Calgary. Without that, in the worst case scenario, large areas of Alberta could be left without power, creating significant public health and safety risks. Okay, so a dire forecast uh, today from the president and CEO of the Alberta Electric System Operator, Michael Law. Uh, says without uh, an underlying um, base power, natural gas power generation, uh, the trying to get to net zero by 2035 could come at significant cost and significant disruption. Talking about the possibility of blackouts even that Alberta could be facing come 2035. So, that analysis partly, I think, is is uh, the basis for the ad campaign that the Alberta government has launched and what seems like a more hardened stance against these proposed federal clean electricity regulations. 
So what are we to make of this uh, analysis? Has anything really changed in terms of Ottawa's position here? And what kind of conclusions can we make about getting to net zero and what that looks like. Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts on all this, very pleased to welcome the program here this afternoon, Blake Schaefer, Assistant Professor of Economics, University of Calgary. Blake, thanks so much for making some time for us here. Welcome to the program. You bet. Thanks, Rob. Uh, so in terms then of trying to analyze what the ASO has laid out here, um, we heard what, what they had to say. We've kind of got the top line version of their, their analysis, but is there anything for, for you or other you know, economists, analysts to, to really scrutinize here? Unfortunately, no. Um, like you said, we've got the top line uh, statements as to what they're they're finding, but there is no detailed modeling release today. And I think I think it's incumbent on them to actually present that um, because a, as we just heard from the clip, those are pretty strong assertions, and b, the track record of the ASO forecasting, uh, I think, has earned the requirement to share the assumptions. I mean, we had. Um, we had long-term outlooks done only a couple years ago that forecast the level of solar that we already have in our province not being here until 2041. And so the, the, there's been a consistent conservative uh, bias. And I don't mean that in a political lens. I just mean a low bias towards technological pro- progress in the forecasting. Uh, they are not alone in that. That's, that's pretty commonplace across grid operators um, because the change has been rapid. And so it's not necessarily meant to be a critique, but I think it's more to be say, we should see the actual analysis. Uh, that being said, at a high level, I actually don't disagree too much with the general sentiment, sentiment of this will be the currently drafted regulations. And they, only, they are in draft form up for yeah. consultations. But the current draft, I do think, is a real challenge for Alberta. And so I, I, I do align with, with, with that view. I, I'll pause for a second. I'm sure you have more questions. <laughs> sure. I, I think the statements made today, there was something, you know, some, some objection I would take to the statements around blackouts, but uh, the, the the general gist of it being a challenge for Alberta, absolutely. Well, and I did want to ask you that because, yeah, I think it's fair to say this, this is not going to be easy for Alberta. Um, but to, to say, you know, come 2035, we're going to be seeing rolling blackouts. Like, where does that come from? Yeah, so I was I was appalled. Uh, it's unheard of to hear a grid operator say, you know, in 12 years from now, we're going to have blackouts. I mean, just, you just think that through. The, the grid operator's task, their role, their mandate is to maintain reliability. So what I was expecting to hear is something to the extent of the currently drafted regulations will require us to take the following actions, potentially costly actions, mm-hmm. to maintain reliability a.k.a. to do something about it, not to sit back and say, we are going to do nothing, and in 12 years, this is going to be a real problem. You know, so it, it, was, it, was, it was backwards in a sense. The, the political arm, the, the government, can go ahead and say, talk about blackouts. I saw they did a, a press release tugging on the heartstrings and saying, you know, you'll drive to hockey practice and the lights will be out and blah, blah. They can say all those things if they want, but the, 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 the independent system operator, the technical agency... It was it was it was really disappointing to hear them use even that same language of blackouts that is now in a in a political ad campaign. It, rather, they should be talking about the challenges to reliability and what it means in terms of the actions they need to take. 
to fulfill their mandate of maintaining reliability. Yeah, and there is an awkwardness, as you say, then. Uh, if you have the responsibility to prevent blackouts, to say that the thing we're here to prevent is going to happen, that, that doesn't instill confidence. That's right. It's one thing to say, and the great operators do, do this all the time. We hear them a lot, not just Alberta. <laughs> we see it in Texas, uh, New York, uh, California. To say, hey, next week we're seeing a big heat wave or a cold spell and demand is going to be high and, mm-hmm. and power plants out. We're concerned about outages. Okay, so that's in the short run. That's understandable. That happens. We try to avoid it with good planning, but these things happen. To say 12 years out <laughs> that you're going to have a problem and rather than, hey, we foresee challenges, so we are going to have to do stuff to avoid that outcome. I, I, that's what I just don't understand uh, from what I heard today. I, I really am troubled by uh, a grid operator whose role is to maintain reliability going and effectively um, just putting out pieces that were used in a political press conference an hour later. Right. So as you say, look, there, there are challenges here. This is going to be difficult for Alberta to do, as is currently laid out in these draft regulations. Now, we spoke when those draft regulations were released, and I asked the minister, like, what's changed since then? And it's not exactly clear to me what's prompted this this response from, from Alberta, but do you see anything that has changed since these draft regulations were first released? No, no, nothing has changed yet because they're, they're in the consultation period. So there are two tr- uh, negotiating tracks, if you will, happening here. W- one is happening quietly, and, and that's with Ministry of Energy in Alberta, with, with Environment and uh, Climate Change Canada, uh, so province and feds, and not just Alberta, but other provinces, meeting to discuss uh, what flexibilities, potential equivalency agreements, etc. This is the bureaucrat to bureaucrat with maybe some high-level uh, political ministers involved. That would be happening, at, you know, at the table in a, in a friendly, <laughs> cooperative, or at least you know, business-like sense. And then there's the public negotiation going on. And I think what we're seeing now is sort of a ramp up of the public uh, uh, motivation to try to capture public sentiment. And I think you're, you're seeing those dual tracks. Obviously, in my role, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the former, and I'm just trying to provide input. Um, to to anyone who wants it, in this case, so I, I've been I've provided recommendations to the feds. Uh, what changes I think they ought to make to the clean electricity regulations to make it um, more workable for provinces like Alberta that that are dominated by natural gas right now, uh, so they can retain the certainty benefits of the clean electricity regulations without it binding and costing a lot uh, it during operations. That, that's the key for me. Right. Do you, do you think there's a solution there then, like a reasonable compromise? So, yeah, I, I, I got just the three simple changes that I think are going to be important for the feds to, to listen to and to strongly consider. So, so one is this, this exemption for the, what's called the end of prescribed life. So that is newer uh, natural gas plants. So there's going to be three coming online in Alberta in the next year that are going to be close to 3,000 megawatts in total. Uh, they don't have to shut down in 2035. So I, I should have pointed out at the outset that the clean electricity regulation is not net zero 2035. There is a bunch of carve-outs and exemptions. Um, so these these will be able to run for 20 years. So they'll be running to 2045, which is only five years away from what Premier Smith deems acceptable, net zero 2050. So I would, I would right away expand the end of prescribed life to 25 years. So let these newer plants run right to 2050 if they want to. 
Um, that'd be one thing. The second would be there's a provision for older power plants to run, but infrequently. And the, the regulations cap that at 450 hours a year. That's roughly 5% of the year. Mm-hmm. I would expand that, quadruple that, 2,000 hours, and make it 20% of the year. And so these are plants that will run infrequently, but they're going to be extremely valuable because they're going to be there when we have no other options. Um, and 5% is simply too little to make the economics work for a private merchant power plant in Alberta. And then the third one is around cogeneration. So those are power plants in industrial complexes that produce heat and power, yeah. largely the oil sands. I would exempt existing cogeneration entirely and have them com- continue to fall under industrial carbon pricing. And the reason I, I say all these things, and some people might hear that and think, oh, that sounds like we're going to be running a lot of more gas, a lot longer. Um, not necessarily. We have the carbon price that continues to be there on all unabated emissions and electricity. And so there will be a deterrent. There will be a deterrent from emitting and an incentive for clean generation. Natural gas will be uncompetitive with cleaner options with that high carbon price going yeah. forward. But what this does is it leaves open room for a potential state of a future world where technical progress didn't proceed as maybe we had hoped for. And we are caught out with very few options. And then we can count our blessings that we still have this backbone of turbines that can run uh, to keep the lights on. Um, so it can, it can protect us against certain eventualities that might occur. And I think having that flexibility, because, you know, you, you get people to model this and you'll get very different answers. We, we heard a model result today without the, the, the work shown from the ESO. Yet we haven't seen the work that the government of Alberta actually commissioned and paid 300000 for from an energy modeling consultancy out of Toronto uh, on net zero electricity in mm-hmm. Alberta. Perhaps that model didn't support the campaign that we're hearing today. So I, I, don't, I don't trust any individual model. What I want is flexibility to allow us room for lots of different potential eventualities. I guess in terms of what we're putting into that model, and I think you highlight something important in terms of 2035 as a target date for being at net zero or 2035 as a starting point for regulations. Like this uh, ASO report talks about uh, wholesale energy costs of a 2035 target being $118 billion higher than 2050. But are they factoring in, you know, the time it takes to phase in all of these regulations or are they modeling 2035 as this is when we would have to be at net zero? Yeah, I, I, I would hope that they're modeling the actual CR, and I expect they are. Uh, they didn't produce their work, so I can't say for certain. We've seen right. this in the past where people modeled things differently than what they are. Uh, there's a, there is a real confusion around the clean electricity regulation because, and I, I blame the feds in large part here, they, they did brand it around 2035 net zero, when in fact it is not 2035 net right. zero. You've even heard Minister Gibo admit that, and... You know, some of the sort of more environmental side actually take a front to it, but I, I think that's more than reasonable. Um, there, there is there is emissions from natural gas that will continue to ha- happen after 2035. It's not like the stroke of midnight, we're going to stop running gas plants. Um, so, But I, I would expect that they, they have taken that into account. The reason costs could be high could be the same reasons I've stated before. It depends on what your assumptions are in terms of clean technology costs. In the past, I've reviewed the ASO's work, and I found that their assumptions to be significantly higher than what we're actually seeing on the ground. Uh, they're continually upgrading that, and so, it, you know, I can't comment on, on what they're using now, and I would suspect it's it's moving in the right direction, but, but I can't, I haven't been able to see that. They, did, they didn't post their work publicly. 
and, and maybe this is a whole other can of worms, but just touch on it quickly. I mean, the, the question of capacity, um, you know, there's a story today about Ontario and nuclear energy and talking about, you know, electricity demand doubling in the next 25 years. How much does that factor into ASO's analysis or any analysis uh, of what all of this means for Alberta? Do we have an idea of, I think we're at 16,000 megawatts capacity now, what we're going to need to be at? Yeah, capacity by itself is really tricky, especially nowadays, because how much you use each different each different resources available capacity is very different now. So, for example, a 100-megawatt solar plant on average across the year is used for 20 megawatts, 20% of the time. More, obviously, in the middle of the day it's using a lot, in the summer it's using a lot, in winter less. Uh, wind might be close to 40%. Uh, natural grass ranges from 15% on a peaker to 85% on a really efficient combined cycle plant. So um, capacity by itself is, is really dependent on what resources we have, but actual average energy use in the, in the province, that's where you see there's this big growth due to electrification. And, and, you know, there's a range there, again, depending on models and depending on the extent of electrification, like uh, electric vehicles and heat pumps and whatnot, uh, and industrial processes. But most models put it around a doubling, yeah. so a doubling of average energy usage. In my view, meeting average energy is not as hard, given we do have abundant wind and solar for meeting average energy. It's the timing of it that's the really hard part, and that's where the costs come in. So the, the nice anecdote that is constantly used, and I, I fully agree with it, is February in Alberta. Where we always, almost always, get that two weeks of extremely cold weather coupled with a high-pressure system that means no wind at the same time. And solar is pretty low in our high-latitude area here. It's nice and sunny during the day. The daylight hours are short. What do you do? And so that's where, you know, the solutions like batteries that are, are working well in Texas and California, they're trickier here. They're going to work well for certain things but they aren't the solution for 10 days of cold weather in the winter. And so, so that is the real challenge for Alberta is, is what do you do for those prolonged cold snaps in the winter? You know, oscillations or intermittency of wind and solar in the summer is something that we, every other jurisdiction deals with, and that's where batteries can work. So intermittency by itself, even though I heard the, the premier talk about that, that's not a real concern. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the longer lulls of no energy that's where we really need to think about what types of flexible resources could fill those gaps. And that's, that's a much harder conversation. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it on that note. Uh, Blake, I always do appreciate the insight. Thanks again for making some time for us here. You bet. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.